going to take a bit of a bird's eye view. Um, and, I, and as I was sort of meditating on this, on this thought this morning, what shall, as, I, as I tried to cover chapter 3 and 4 in one hit, I thought, yeah, I've got to take a fairly broad perspective. But I was just meditating this morning, and um, as you do, your mind gets sidetracked. Do you, do you find that? Um, when you're, you're sort of really focusing and trying to be spiritual, and, uh, and something catches your eye, and you go sort of wandering off. But what I got sort of gave me a few ideas, what I saw, because I was looking at our bookcase at sort of about six o'clock this morning as I was praying. I thought, what am I looking at the bookcase for? And it's full of recipe books that my wife has collected over the years. And um, as my major role in our household now is the cook, uh, I've been availing myself a little of some of those recipes. And there's hundreds there. There's probably thousands because there's quite a few books. Um, uh, but the reality is, uh, if you're anything like me, those of you that cook, you, you find a few trusted recipes and you tend to default into those. You, you tend to stay with those. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they're safe. You feel secure with that. You don't want to sort of rock the boats and burn it and mess up uh, because obviously you put all this work into cooking. And, uh, but sometimes... Some of the best are those new ones that you've never tried before. And there's some delicious stuff in there uh, that um, I know that I need to really expand on. But hey, I've got about probably half a dozen, if that, of trusted recipes that I tend to reproduce over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and as, I, as I looked at the bookshelf too, there was another book that caught my eye, and it was called iPod and iTunes... For dummies. <laughs> and I realised, you know, as I got my iPad, I'll say iPad, iPad and iTunes for dummies. And, and, and as I looked at that book, I, I realised I hadn't actually opened it. One day, in a moment, I purchased it. Quite a few years ago, when I first got an iPad, with the idea of learning everything that the iPad could do. And I hadn't opened it. I haven't looked at it, and it's got all the instructions and so on and so forth, but nah, I've just sort of modelled my way through and found this and found that. But as I just thumbed through it very quickly, I realised there was a whole lot of applications that I wasn't using. And I think when it comes to the, to the Word of God, there, there is so much in there that we haven't applied to our lives. And we've stayed with what formation and what perhaps we've been taught in our early Christian life, those that have been down, going down the road for some time. And we stay with that because that's what we're used to. That's what we're familiar with. That's what's there for us. And we can just get a hold of that and it's safe. You know, it's a safe recipe. It's trusted and true. It hasn't let me down, or I don't think it has. And that's the question. And is there so much more in there that we haven't laid hold of? And as we've looked at Galatians and, uh, and sort of drilled and John drilled down, down into it and um, we, we've got that picture of the fact that grace, of the grace of God 
and, and not law. And the whole argument that Paul was propounding and the problem that the Galatian church was that they were set, they'd, they'd, if you like, defaulted into law rather than trusted in the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel of grace. And they'd started to rely on themselves and their performance. And Paul uses a lot of contrasts in, uh, and metaphors, if you like, in Galatians. He, there's the message of law and grace. And then he uses the picture of the slave and the free. Or the slave and the son. And he uses that as an analogy in teaching, and we'll move on into that. But he also uses the picture of the bondwoman and the free woman, of the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. But the major one that comes right through is the old covenants and the new. Now, there were three covenants in Scripture, particularly, the three major ones. One was the first was the Abrahamic covenant, which was the promise that a covenant is, is like a will. It's, it's, it's a seal. It's a legal agreement that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And in that picture, in that, in that story, we have that, that Abraham cuts up some animals and separates them and the uh, tradition was that you walked through between those animals and made a covenant with somebody. It was a, like a blood covenant. But in the story, Abraham went into a deep sleep. And there was a torch or a fire went between the, sacrifice, between the sacrifices, between the animals. And that was a picture of God and in the anointing of the Spirit going to and fro and making a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was asleep. He didn't do anything. He was in a place of rest. And God promised to Abraham that he was going to bless him, make him a great nation, and bless his seed, which was Christ. And we are children, if you like, of Abraham, and we are blessed we have the unmerited favour, which is what grace is. It's the unmerited favour of God. That's the promise to Abraham. And then we have the covenant to Moses, which was law, which was the law of Moses, which was written on the tablets of stone. And if you like, it was a moral law. It was a law of that brought a sense of what was right and what was wrong. And tied in with that law was reward or punishment. It was a conditional law of behavior that was set, that the children of Israel said, no, we don't want to touch that mountain. We don't want that relationship. It's too scary. You go and talk to God for us, Moses, and see what he says, and then come and tell us. 
But that place is just too scary for us. That mountain that's burning with fire. So Moses did that. And they said, we will do all that he commands. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. The theme that I really want to share with you this morning is the fact that we are called not, and the law is good, don't get me wrong, but it brings a consciousness of sin and an awareness of sin, and that's what the law was given for. But the new covenant in Christ brings freedom. It's a covenant of freedom. It's set in our hearts. And I want us to really get some freedom this morning and understand that. That we are free in Christ. If you're anything like me, you've been brought up under a mix of freedom or grace and law. And probably a bit more law than grace, to be frank. And that can get set in your psyche and in your understanding a bit like those recipes that... They're always there, and they're secure, they're safe. They give us boundaries. They're good. But they lock us in. We're locked into them. And there's no freedom. Do you know what I'm saying? And who the Son has set free is free indeed. What does that freedom look like? How is it? Is it risky? Yes. Will we make mistakes? Quite possibly. Will we see tremendous victories? Yes. Will we be free to see the Spirit of God move? Yes. The freedom that Paul was talking about was the freedom in what Christ has done. For it is no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. That's the freedom. And right through, and I'll read you a few, a few verses from, um, this is uh, the Passion Translation. And it gives a real, some real, in the context of our language, I'm just going to read a few verses to you. Let me be clear, the anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of the past. Stubbornly refuse in in the translation that you might be a little bit more aware of, It says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery, he was speaking of as the law. And what the Galatians had done is they've been brought to Christ through grace and through miracles and through the working of the Holy Spirit. And then some of the Judaizers and the the Jews that kept the law had come down 
and started fellowshipping with them and teaching them to keep the law, that they needed to keep the statutory law of Moses, the ceremonial law, the feast laws, all the laws. And that would make them complete. And Paul comes in very strongly and says, Oh foolish Galatians. Another translation of it is, you idiots. You started well. Why have you gone back? And the church was made of Jews and Gentiles. And the Gentiles had been, some of them, they were trying to get them circumcised and to keep the ceremonial law. And Paul came out very, very strongly about that. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, that's a military term, of standing your ground, of not moving, of not being, comprom- not being compromised. And all around us, I believe, you know, in, in, in different ways, we, there's a subtlety. And the church has been bound up with this mixture thing. And it's not always clear. You know, I, I was listening to something fairly recently, and it, and it, sounded, it sounded good. But in fact... When you actually drill down into it, it was out of the Old Covenant. And that was a teaching that the, the premise always precedes the promise. The premise always precedes the promise. In other words, you keep the conditions and the promise of God's blessing will come on you. Whereas the promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So the promise and the blessing and the unmerited favour of God is on us unconditionally. It's a free gift. It's not conditional on what we do. And this is what Paul was saying. There's this sense that if you, you've got this, this thing going on that if you do this, 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 you will get the blessing of God, you will please God. But God is already pleased with you he's already in a good mood with you right right where you stand where we stand and I'm going to say why that is you might be thinking that's not what I've been taught that's not what I believe that's not the recipe that I've been brought up with the recipe I've been brought up with is that if I do good things God will bless me Well, sure, if we sin, if we do bad stuff, there are consequences. But God still loves us, right? God stills out for us. Take take the the parable. I'll get sidetracked here. Take the parable of the oh dear. Take the parable of the of the lost son, of the prodigal son. You've got two sons, you've got one who's good, and he stays with his father. And he works the fields and he does a great job. You've got the other one that says, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go and have a good time and do my thing. They were both the father's son. Even when the one was away spending money on a great time, on living it up with his friends, getting drunk, 
sleeping with prostitutes, doing whatever he did, and he ended up in the pig pen and started coming to his senses, he was still the father's son wherever he was. And the father was there looking for him every day. And when he started coming back, do you know what his attitude? His attitude was, I want to be a servant. I just know that I'll be better off in the father's house as a servant. So he comes back and his father sees him a long way off and runs to him outside of the house. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I want to become as one of your hired servants. And the father just ignored what he said. Just took him into the house, threw a party, clothed him in a new robe, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, cleaned him up, and he became the son again. Just like that. But he had always been the son. Irrespective of where he'd been, God still loved him. And God loves us wherever we are, when we fail, when we sin, and when we're righteous. What happens in our lives is often just the consequence of making some wrong choices. And freedom gives us that sense of making choice. And we have that choice. That is what, that's what God has given us. He's given us freedom. And we can choose to follow and we can choose to ignore and walk away. But once we are born again, we are born to be free. Now, our world is full of people that have been touched by God. And we're not the ones to say who is saved and who isn't. Only he knows. But once we're born again, we're born again, we're, part of, we're one of his children. And he'll be after us. Even if we walk away, he'll be after us. And he'll take what he his because he's committed to hold on to all those that the Father has given him. Jesus says that. But the interesting thing for me in that story is that the, the son wanted to be a servant. He wanted to be like one of the slaves. And the father said, no, I don't want you under rules being told to do this and do that and go here and go there because that's too restrictive. It holds you in too much. Sooner or later, you'll start to get resentful. Sooner or later, you'll start to become discouraged. Sooner or later, you'll think, oh, well, I've not, this is not really very fulfilling. This is not very exciting because I have no freedom. I'm just a hired servant. He made him a son. And a son has the same rights. Once they've matured, once they've come to a certain age, they have the same rights. And that's an analogy that's used here in Galatians. Um, 
<coughs> and for the sake of time, and I'm sure you've all read Galatians, we all read Galatians lately? <laughs> There's that analogy of the, of, the, um, of the son that hasn't, or the heir, that is still a child. And Paul says, when we were children, we were under the law. But when we became sons, we became free. When we matured. I just want to read through Galatians 3, 13 to 18. Um, which will get up on the screen. It says here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. And the question comes to our mind is, what is the curse of the law? Why does the law bring about a curse? Paul explains it in Romans and and Galatians to a lesser degree that the law actually tells us what sin is. And it's a bit like the wet paint, you know, when you're, when you're a your kitty, it says wet paint and you just want to check, see whether it's, see whether it's wet. And, and the law's a wee bit like that, because it tells us what not to do, and by our, fall, our fallen nature wants to do that very thing. So the law brought about that awareness of sin. Cursed is everyone who, <coughs> for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So Jesus Christ redeemed us from that curse. It says in Colossians that the rules and regulations were nailed to the cross. So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so that as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham for a promise. The argument he uses here is that Abraham received the covenant, and it was the covenant of promise that God would bless him. And that covenant was given 430 years prior to the covenant of the law. And now he's referring to that promise, and the promise being not of offsprings, but of your offspring, that is Christ. So, this does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. In other words, the law doesn't take over the covenant of promise. And the covenant of promise was fulfilled in Christ. 
And in, in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Christ fulfilled the law and all its requirements on our behalf for us. Galatians chapter 4 goes on and uses another comparison regarding um, Abraham and the covenant of promise. And that is that there was, there were, you know, Abraham was received promises from God, but he was a bit of a A wee bit dodgy at times. He made mistakes. He messed up. In fact, to the point where, you know, when God promised him seed and a son, which obviously was really important, because it hadn't happened and he got old and Sarah got old, he took Sarah's servant girl and she became pregnant and had a son. Because God had made a promise and he thought after a bit of a time, he thought, well, it's not really happening. Where's this promise? Where's this child? Sarah's too old, I'm too old. And Sarah said, I've got an idea, you have my servant girl. So that's what he did. Also, Abraham, once when he got in trouble and they had to leave the land and they went down into Egypt, because Sarah was attractive... He was scared that he'd get killed for her, so he said, pretend to be my sister. So he, he got up to a few things, a bit, bit of stuff. A bit of stuff went off in, in his life. But God still blessed him. And he, he actually came out of Egypt a whole lot richer because of it, which is a bit of a strange paradox, isn't it? In that he didn't really do the right thing, but God still blessed him because God was with him. In Romans, it says that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Faith was accounted to him as righteousness. And here we read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, about Hagar and Sarah. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave, which was Hagar, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which is the law, bearing children to slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who have a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. 
But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Born to be free. Born again to freedom in Christ. So God is pleased with us. God has blessed us. We are saved by grace. We are free to make choices as sons and as daughters in Christ. And I'm going to be covering next week how that's not a license to do whatever we like, naturally. Because his favour is, oh, dash. (laughs) Dash. But the clear waters of grace have been muddied with obligation, with rules, with regulations and judgments. Whereas I believe the Lord wants us to have an atmosphere or a culture of grace and freedom and of acceptance. Because the world looks at the church and thinks it's a bit dodgy. It's a bit rules orientated. It's a killjoy. Hey, these Christians, you know, long faces. Hard work. That's not how it is. That's not how Christ wants us to live our Christian lives. He has set us free. Like I say, the water is crystal clear when it comes to grace. It's a free gift. It's God's unmerited favour. Yet we've mixed it up with a sort of a message of lots of rules and expectations and duties. And sure, there are responsibilities attached to our life in Christ. And those are choices, and we have freedom to make those choices. But we operate in a place of grace, of God's unmerited favour. Yet there's an ingredient here that's sort of added to grace, and that's faith. And sometimes things happen in our lives which challenge our comfort zone. They challenge where we're at. We've got in a sort of a place where we've got our recipes, which are secure and safe, and we're going along quite nicely with those recipes, with those rules, with those, those things that what we're what we're aware of and suddenly something comes along that's sort of is a bit of a curveball and we all have them in one way or another in various contexts and challenges that challenge our faith challenge who we are challenge perhaps grace 
that's operating in our lives. And our concepts and our safety and where we're at. And we think, what, what's going here? And I guess Abraham that had that going on when he made the mistake with Hagar. And because God was faithful to his promise, he actually blessed Hagar as well. <laughs> and Ishmael, the son, in a different place, not in the fulfillment of the promise he had for Isaac, but certainly he blessed him because he was committed to do that. And he was still the seed of Abraham. But his purposes were being worked through Isaac, who became the father of the Jewish people, and then, of course, Christ came out of that. And, and we were, Paul uses an analogy of being grafted into Israel and into the promises of God. But for Abraham, his faith was challenged. And he, in that challenge, he made some mistakes. But he still worked through it. And he still received the promises. And in the same way, there might be something that you're facing in the area of faith. Because the reason we, we need to understand that we live through the grace of God is that we are, we are favoured and God is pleased with us and we are sons and daughters of the living God. And he has a relationship with us. You know, the law was about rules, regulations, rewards and punishments. So if you read Deuteronomy, it talks about if you fulfill these, these things, if you do these things, you'll be blessed when you go out, you'll be blessed when you come in, etc., etc., you know the scripture? Your kneading bowl will be blessed and your, and your house will be blessed and this will be blessed and your fields will be blessed. If you do these things, the premise and the promise. Whereas under grace, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have a relationship which is not what we do but rather who we are. And we've been sold a wee bit of a bill of goods at times about we actually are who we are or we're, we're what we do rather than who we are. Do you know that? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying here about a distinction? In terms of our identity, we're often, we often identify ourselves in what we do, whether it be a job or a role in the family, whatever it might be. But in Christ, our identity is in Him. It's a relationship with God. That's our identity. It's who we are. Saints, born again, free from the slavery of rules and regulations and laws. That's the new covenant. Because the new covenant, it says in Hebrews, comes into our heart. It's in our heart. Jeremiah prophesied about it. There will be a new covenant. And it's a new covenant in Christ's blood. He has died for that. He has died for you to have the promises that God gave to Abraham 
All of them. And more. The yes and amen. We're born to be free to receive all that God has for us. The law just promises premise, reward. Conditional. Grace is unconditional. Apart from an attachment of faith. That is our belief, if we understand grace, if we really get grace, if we really understand what Christ has done for us and what the cross is all about and how our identity is in Christ and he died not just for us but as us and rose as us and we're seated with him in heavenly places in a spiritual sense. If we really understand that, we can attach our faith to it and see miracles. And perhaps some of those challenges that you face in life which seem just too difficult, you can overcome through a faith that's attached to a knowledge of who Christ is in you. That's the call. That's the call that we have. It's to call us that little bit higher than where we are. And when the challenge comes, when the difficulties comes, when the sea and the waves, if you like, are roaring, Jesus draws a picture, doesn't he, of the the house that's built on sand and the house that's built on a rock. And if our house is built on the rock of grace and the stability, the rock speaking of Christ then whatever comes against us, that house will stand. If it's built on rules and regulations and what we do rather than who we are, the house won't stand. And the shame is that those that have, where where we've been sold that bill of goods that it's about what we do rather than about who we are, that can so easily bring disillusionment and discouragement and anxiety because we know what we do fails, right? What we do is never quite good enough. Would that be right? We know that we fail. We know that we'd sort of just rather put our feet up and watch a bit of TV than than, uh, maybe spend some time doing good things and the right things and... Spending time with the Lord, it's very easy to default to our old nature, isn't it? We know that sometimes we lose our call. We know we sometimes mess up. And if it's about, if our relationship and our view of following Christ is about what we do, then we will come under condemnation. And the devil will have a hold on us. But if we know who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and the life that is in us, then we will have the victory. Amen? Amen. I want us to just look at a a song clip. I I, I entitled what I said this morning uh, on Born to be Free and I just sort of Googled Born to be Free to see what came up because I was thinking of a 
an old movie about a lion some time ago. Do you remember that one, Born to be Free? <laughs> but um, that's, a different, that's a different story. Uh, but we've got a, I've just got a song clip that we'll just play to you because I, I love the words on it and the message. So we'll just play that now. Thank you. Ask some here today that, like the prodigal, he didn't really want to be free when he came back. There was a sense that the, the servant, uh, slave kind of uh, mindset that he came back with uh, was, was comfortable because it covered his shame. Because what was um, the, the, the father coming to him and declaring him an heir was, was quite... Um, 
confronting for him because of what he'd done. And I sense there are those here, maybe today, and I certainly know uh, I see this on a regular basis uh, with what I do, is that shame keeps us stuck in the servant mindset. And there are some in the house, come back to the father's house, but they want to remain a servant just as the prodigal because he didn't believe he was worthy. And this is the enemy's ploy, friends, to keep us feeling unworthy, sitting in the back row with our servant mindset intact. (laughs) What would I do differently if I was a son or a daughter or a co-heir? What would I say differently? How would I act differently if I changed my identity from servant? Because servants sort of feel quite comfortable. You know, I know for me, us in some areas of my life, I quite like to fit into the status quo because I feel quite safe in there. I don't stand out. It's not, um, I don't take any risks. Comfortable in that place. And I don't risk making a mistake and I don't risk um, people being displeased with me. But, you know, that's not where we're called. We're called to be free and being free is, you know, what if, uh, you know, I'm not who I think I am. (laughs) It's so easy to be in the house of God with a servant mindset and serving. And we need serving, you know. We're called to serve. But we can hide like the prodigal wanted to stay there. He, he was exposed when he was given freedom. But God is calling us out there. Yeah. Out of the paddling pool, out of the shallow, into the deep. Mm. To be sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Think about attaching faith. And I think what Jenny's shared is, is just, is really key because we can get stuck in a place which we think is just fine. Mm-hmm. And, and God's saying, now I, I want a bit more and you need a bit more and there's a whole lot more for you. Yeah. And that really is in, involves attaching faith to grace. We all know what Jesus has done for us, but he wants us to be sons and daughters, and that involves being co-heirs. That involves a life that we can't even imagine how fantastic it is. He wants us to live a life of miracles. So as we, as we just close the service and we, and we sing, let's just believe, let's believe for God to do great things in our lives. Let's attach faith to that challenge. I just wonder, just while we're, we're all sort of sitting here and we're in this sense that the Word of God is, is, is moving, is there any of you that really want to stand and make a stand and you've felt so discouraged and so defeated, yet now there's a sort of an inkling of, of faith there to believe for that victory where perhaps you've just accepted the status quo. Is that anybody here this morning? Anybody feel like that? I'm, I'm certainly in that place.
Yeah, Joe. Anybody else that maybe it's in the area of healing? Getting a victory in that area? Yeah. Perhaps you'd like to, anybody that feels that way, perhaps you'd like to stand and we can just agree with you to see the victory. Let's, let's just, just stand where you are if you've got a challenge on at the moment that you want to see God move and you want to attach faith to grace. Just take a little moment because there are, I believe there are others. Attach faith to grace. You've just accepted how it is and God wants you to take a hold of it and see his deliverance. Hallelujah.